Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. My name is Ivory, and you are tuned in to the Embracing Neurodiversity podcast, where I share my personal journey of embracing and enhancing the experience of my amazing son, who is on the spectrum. Through this journey, I've discovered a lot about myself and continue to grow every day. My goal is to provide you with some useful insights and stories that will inspire you in your own parenting journey. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in as always. Good morning. Good afternoon, wherever you are. I have been in this cyclical routine of traveling and parenting Khalil and traveling again for work. This is a bit of a high travel season for me as it relates to my full-time job as an education consultant. And so being able to sit down and record a podcast has not been the easiest task over the past couple of weeks. But nevertheless, here I am. I luckily, in between the downtime of traveling, whether I'm at the airport or on a flight or even when I have some uh, moments of downtime at home, I have been committed to spending at least 30 minutes a day reading. It is actually a part of, so I have this five-year plan for Khalil and myself. I believe I spoke about this in one of my videos around ways to parent. And one of those is to set goals for yourself and your child. And so I have this five-year plan, but within that five-year plan, there are smaller goals and tasks that I have created for myself and Khalil in order to achieve that ultimate five-year plan, right? And so one of those this year for me has been to carve out 30 minutes a day to read and let me be very clear, like I'm a consume, I consume information, knowledge on a regular basis. It's, it's just an integral part of who I am. And so I'm always listening to an audio book, a podcast of some sort, or a YouTube video of some sort that's informative or entertaining to me in one way or the other. But I don't always take out time to literally sit down and and quiet things around me, quiet my mind, and read a book. I used to do it all the time when I was younger. Honestly, before I became like a full-time adult and had to work a full-time job, and especially when I became a parent, just the actual act of sitting and reading a book became harder. And don't even get me started with laying in the bed reading a book. Uh, Child, I will be asleep within five minutes. So I decided to be more intentional about carving out 30 minutes a day to read in the middle of the day, whether it's like taking a lunch break and shutting down everything and reading on my couch or going to a coffee shop or a restaurant and sitting and reading, right? It's a form of meditation for me too. And so I've, I miss having those moments. So I decided to carve out time for that. The reason why that is a goal of mine is because it is absolutely peaceful for me but it also increases my knowledge because I think that knowledge is power. I know that it is actually, but the other piece is that I have a long-term goal to write a few books. And so I want to study how others write and increase my writing skills. Many of the writers that I admire 
one of the things that they rec- recommend is that you read more. If you want to become a great writer, you read more, right? But I think if you want to be great at anything, reading is tied to it in one way or the other. Because remember, you can consume information and knowledge through books, through multiple avenues now. Audiobooks, I think, are completely fine. I, I can get through so many books in a year because of audiobooks. So I'm grateful for them. I will continue to read listen to them, but I wanted to intentionally, as of lately, carve out time for reading. And I say all of that to say that um, I've been reading a book lately called The Conscious Parents. It is by Dr. Shafali, and I will drop the link to the book as well as an interview that I saw that she did which sparked my interest in wanting to read her book. But I've been reading her book and it's just so there are so many gems in there, things that have come up for me, and I'm only on chapter two, that I wanted to share with you all. When I'm thinking about, I'm reading from the lens, obviously, of an autism parent. And so what I wanted to do was take the information that's in this book that has been enlightening and informative for me and think about it from the lens of an autism parent and then share that information with my audience who are also raising children or supporting children on the spectrum, right? Before I dive into reviewing the first two chapters of the book, I want to first name that she speaks about consciousness in a way of like a state of being in a state of awareness. And so some of what I'll be speaking about and reviewing from the book is uh, more so around combining personal development with rethinking parenting, right? And so that may be a new concept for many. And my offer to you is to remain open-minded If it is something that feels right for you, then lean in. And if it's something that does not feel right for you, then you can turn the video off. But either way, it, again, has been absolutely helpful for me. And so I want to share it with you all. I'm going to slow down and you'll probably hear some pauses for two reasons. Number one, I'm drinking coffee, but also I am going back through the book too look at the things that I've highlighted or made notes about so that I can expound on that or that I can share those highlights with you all. So you may hear a couple of moments of pause, um, which I think is good because I also have been thinking a lot about slowing down when I am having conversations with you all so that the information can be more digestible. But to be honest, sometimes I'm speaking a little faster than I should because when I'm recording these podcasts, it's usually usually very early in the morning. I want to get in the episode and the information before my son wakes up. So I I recognize that earlier today where I was like, I need to make sure I slow down for this particular episode. And it had me thinking why I tend to go fast. And if you all are wondering, that is why. But today, we're going to slow it down a little bit. So as I mentioned before, the book that I'm reading, The Conscious Parent and Transforming Ourselves and Empowering Our Children is by a PhD therapist. Her name is Dr. Shafali, and you should Google her and and see if her information is in alignment to 
you and how you want to operate in the world. As I've mentioned in multiple episodes, I fundamentally believe that parenting doesn't come with a handbook, as we know, but we cannot be meaningful parents if we aren't doing our own personal development work and unpacking our own trauma and our own biases, right? And I've always known that, but obviously when you are a parent of a neurodiverse child, the need and the awareness to be mindful of your own shit, (laughs) your own trauma and the way in which you operate in the world, your own pain, it's even more important because sometimes it's stressful. Parenting is stressful, but it's absolutely stressful and grief abides in the beginning stages or perhaps ongoingly when you are raising a child who is autistic or who has any other neurodivergence. And when that happens, when stress and frustration and grief comes up, it it pushes you to unpack and think your pain and why you are feeling the way that you're feeling. And, and though like your, your child may trigger it, it more often than not is for other reasons that we want to be able to confront if we are committed to being uh, better parents, but ultimately better human beings in the world. And so to that point, I'm smiling because it makes me think about I'm going I'm going to move from forward to backwards when I talk about the first two chapters of the book. But one of the things that has come up in the book in different ways that I feel affirmed about, quite frankly, because I've mentioned it in this space on the podcast, but also in conversations with clients and family and friends. And that is the idea that our children choose us. They come into this world in many ways by assignment and everything is divine. Like nothing is accidental. And we don't choose the type of children that we want to have. We may have ideas and fantasies of the type of child we want to have, but we don't choose the type of children that we will have. They choose us and they choose us for two distinct reasons. One, because we have something within us, who we are, that can support and help them grow and develop into who they are meant to be in the world. And two, because they have something that is distinct and unique unique about themselves that will hold a mirror up to us to become better human beings in the world and to live within our purpose. And once we realize that piece then we will become, we as parents, once we realize that our children are exactly who they're supposed to be in the world for our benefit and we are who we at our highest level are are supposed to be in the world for their benefit, once we realize that peace, we'll be more apt to become aware and conscious of how we operate with our children and and quite frankly, how we operate with everyone else, right? But if for the sake of this, we're talking about our children and particularly our children who are neurodiverse. One of the things that I highlighted first in the book that showed up on the first page was that Dr. Shafali told a story about how her child was behaving in a way that was unsavory for her in public and how she felt overwhelmed by it. And 
wanted to respond in a way that would get her child to behave immediately, right? But then she realized that how she responds to her child in this particular moment, but perhaps every moment, but how she responds to her child in this moment could either make or break her child's spirit. That stood out to me in on the first page because I talk a lot about when Khalil has meltdowns and how in the beginning, I've gotten so much better at it, thankfully, but in the beginning, I would want to stop him from having a meltdown. So, you know, I would try different tactics to to make him stop crying or tantruming. And none of it worked until I realized that you have to allow him to go through this process so that he can learn to self-regulate. That's number one. But second to that, why is this behavior unsettling for you? Like, obviously, part of it is because you never want to see your child feeling sad or you never want to see them in harm or any sort of pain. But the second piece today is because it, it is out of my lotus of control. So I want to take back the control, but in taking back the control, how am I chipping away at my child's ability to be his highest self, right? And so I was thankful for that realization that she mentioned in the on the first page of the first chapter. She said, I realized that this was a moment in which how I responded could make or break my child's spirit. And I want to offer that to you as food for thought that when you are frustrated or overwhelmed or tired or irritated by some of your child's behaviors, first, it's normal and it's okay. But second, before you react or respond to your child's behavior, think about is what I'm about to say going to make or break their spirit. Our goal as parents, ultimately, regardless of who our child is, is to maintain the spirit that they have been given and to not break them, right? It's, it's the old saying in like the healthcare field and even in the education space to do no harm. So even if you don't feel like you have the tools to equip and enhance them with things that are going to help them improve and develop, which you absolutely do, but if you don't feel like you have that, at the minimum, the first base is to not retract anything from them. And so if you, it's I was saying, if you don't have anything good to say, maybe don't say anything at all until you have the words to say, right? If you feel like you're going to lash out or scream, maybe you need to walk away and go into another room. And I want to acknowledge, as I always do, that this is, the goal is not to be perfect. And I'm not always perfect at this. The goal is to be mindful, is to be conscious of your behaviors. And when when you become conscious of them and you believe that those behaviors may impact your child and their spirit and who they fundamentally are, take a pause and rethink how you want to operate. So that was the first hitter. And I was like, okay, she's going, she's jumping right into, you know, some things that are, can be a blow to a lot of us as parents who have made those mistakes, which we all have in terms of saying and doing things that can that are that come from a place of frustration for us, right? So she goes on to talk about in chapter one that you are raising a spirit throbbing with its own signature. 
Parents afford many occasions in which we find ourselves in a battle between our mind and our heart, which makes raising a child akin to walking a tightrope. Child, tell me about it. That whole analogy of like walking a tightrope is like you feel like any misstep is going to be a game changer and not in a good way, right? So like you're you're constantly worried about making a mistake. But I want to offer you this, this. In walking on this parenting tightrope, there's always, more often than not, a safety net below in which when you do fall, because you will, you will land okay and you will be able to get back up. And the key is to learn from that mistake that you made, apply it and do better moving forward, right? It's really important for us to allow our children to be themselves because, again, we don't choose who our children are supposed to be in the world. They come into the world exactly as they are and who they are supposed to be. But when our children are just being themselves, they are unconcerned about the things we as parents are so often obsessed about. This is what Dr. Shafali writes how things look to other people, achievements, getting ahead. These are things that we think about before our child comes into the world. And then we think about it even more once they are here. And then when we learn that they are neurodiverse, specifically when we have a child who has autism, we we think even more and worry even more about what others are going to think about it and what their future is going to look like. These are valid, right? And in many ways, they come from a place of concern. But I do want to offer to you that it's really important to remain present with your child, to shift your mindset, to focus on their strengths, and to lean into those, to unpack why you care so much about what others think, and to try to dismantle that concern. Because as I've mentioned in previous podcasts as well, first of all, what other people think is none of my business as long as no one is hurting my child or me. But second to that, this is the energy that you can pass on to your child, right? And then they, they begin to think there's something fundamentally wrong with them. And so at, at the younger stage in their lives, they're not thinking about that. And it's important for us as parents to honor that within them. Like they are just being them and they are not obsessed with externally what is happening in the world. And our goal is to be their protectors, but not to project upon them our fears and concerns. She also goes on to write, as, as a parent, I repeatedly find myself presented with opportunities to respond to my daughter as if she were like myself with the full range of feelings I experienced. The same longing, hope, excitement, imagination, ingenuity, sense of wonder, and capacity for delight. Yet, like many parents, I tend to become so caught up in my own agenda that I often miss the opportunity afforded by these moments. I find myself so conditioned to sermonize, so oriented to teaching that I am often insensitive to the wondrous ways in which my child reveals her uniqueness, showing us she's being unlike any other who has ever walked this planet. Listen, when I tell y'all, I outlines like un- every word of this small paragraph, 
because that is something that I have been consciously working on. Like my son is incredibly smart. And even before I knew he had autism, before he was even born, it was a high value of mine that he was going to be educated. Like I imagine a world in which he was going to be reading by he was going to be reading novels by the time he was three. And he was just going to be my, the ba- my baby shower was even like a, a baby genius thing. Like it was really important to me that he was knowledgeable. And in doing that, even now with his autism, one, it's still very important to me that he is always learning and growing. But oftentimes I find myself as opposed to being present and enjoying who he is and his humor and his energy and his playfulness. I'm always looking for opportunities to teach him or a learning opportunity, right? Like if he wants to play with a particular toy, I'm like, how do you spell that, Khalil? Like I'm always trying to incorporate it. And so while I will continue to do that to, to a certain extent, what this piece reminded me of is to also observe and take in the essence of who they are and honor that too, right? Don't get so caught up in your own desires for them that you lose sight of who they are fundamentally. She expounds on the piece I just read by stating that it's important to separate who you are from each of your children Children aren't ours to possess or own in any way. Now, this is a hard one for us as parents, especially from Black communities. Like, we're very much so, like, for multiple reasons, which I'm going to break down one day, like, historically, why we operate in this place with in which we possess our children. A lot of it is fear. A lot of it is a need to keep them safe because Black children aren't safe in America. Check all the headlines for confirmation of that. And so during and post-slavery, culturally, we learned to keep our children close to us so that they would not be harmed. And by doing that, we often instill fear in them so that they could understand how to operate in the world that did not see them in the same way that we saw them. So what I've learned is though it is incredibly scary and vulnerable, We cannot interact with our children in a way where fear is the primary motivation because one day they will go into the world as adults and they, if we do that, they won't have the, the, the self-esteem and the wherewithal to navigate and live to their highest capacity because they now have this reel in the back of their mind of their parents stifling them or telling them what they can do or what they shouldn't do, right? And so we want them to feel empowered. And by by making sure that they feel empowered, we have to see them as their own and allow them to grow and develop in their way. We have to tailor raising our children to their needs rather than molding them to fit our needs. And the way that we do that is to observe what they need and then acquiesce to that. We have to be mindful to not impose our own agenda upon them. Even when I talk about creating goals, right? Like a lot of the goals that 
I encourage you to create for your child and yourself. But as we're talking about children and not imposing our agenda, you want the goals to be in alignment to how it complements their strengths as they currently exist and to like their overall growth and development. Your goals for your child should not be in alignment to what's going to benefit you as a parent or others around you, but instead what is going to ultimately benefit them. Parenting is an incredibly selfless act, and we have to um, embrace that as, as a reality. Dr. Shafali goes on to write that we each enter the parenting journey with visions of what we will be as parents. I've said this before. For the most part, these visions are fantasies. Child, come on, I want to unpack that later. We hold beliefs, values, and assumptions we have never examined. Many of us don't even see a reason to question our our ideas because we believe we are right, quote unquote, and have nothing to rethink. Based on our unexamined worldview, we unknowingly lay down rigid expectations of how our children ought to express themselves. We don't realize that through our imposition of our ways on our offspring, we constrain their spirit. I want to pause there because I want to highlight this idea that much of what we do is we do operate in an unconscious space and much of how we operate is because of how we've been taught growing up, whether directly or indirectly, the messages we've been sent and how we were parented, right? So we do things that we did not realize had a negative impact on us or don't realize had a negative impact upon on us as children. And then we repeat those behaviors. Or sometimes we tell ourselves that it helped me in some way without further digging deep into thinking critically about how it helped you or how it may have not helped you, right? And so sometimes we don't feel like we cannot question our upbringing because our parents and we as parents make sacrifices. But I would encourage you, perhaps the first step in thinking about your own parenting journey is to think about how you were parented. Lastly, I love how she mentions that children inhabit a world of it is, not a world of it is not. They come to us with their being brimming with potential. Even our children who are neurodiverse. Our job is to find the potential and illuminate it, not to dim it. They have a right to be their own person and lead their own lives in accordance with their unique spirit. We are chosen as their parents to help them actualize this. The trouble is that if we don't pay close attention to them, we rob them of their right to live out their destiny. So, I will leave you with this as food for thought. And this is from Dr. Shafali. How can we listen to them? When so many of us barely listen to, listen to ourselves, how can we feel their spirit and hear the beat of their hearts if we can't do this in our own life? When we as parents have a loss of our inner compass, 
it is any wonder so many children grow up directionless, disconnected, and discouraged. Next week, we're going to um, continue to unpack chapter one. I hope that this is conjuring up some things to think about. It's also important to name. She talks about this in chapter two towards the end, but I'm going to continually name it from the beginning is that this is a journey and it is incremental progress over time. It is This is not a, a, a process that you embark upon expecting to be transformed overnight. It is about listening to yourself, observing everything around you, learning to be quiet, to hear your thoughts, having self-compassion for yourself, learning to be mindful of what you're feeling when your child is behaving a certain way. Ask, why am I feeling this way? And when you feel yourself responding in a way that is going to diminish their spirit, learning to silence or walk away. Until the next time, take care of yourself. Bye.